Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Can we do that? I thank you, Brother. Brother Herndon, I don't know of a song that I have sang any more as a prayer than that very song. Walking up and down the aisles of this church. And uh, I'll confess tonight, without Brother Toby's permission, many times with whatever guitar he left behind, <laughs> strapped on, and uh, just right here with me and the Lord, and uh, nothing like just something to just pour our heart out to the Lord, transparent, and appreciate that so very much. I spent the majority of my life right here in this community in, in an agricultural area. And uh, despite my exposure to many, many things, I have come up miserably short. I still struggle to find a ripe watermelon, and I've been told every little trick in the book, and I just cannot remember them when it comes time to find them. A lot of things that I maybe can try and, uh, and can get by. There's a lot of things I don't know very much about. But I could say tonight, and I hope you take this in the right way, that after having spent 33 of my 52 years on this earth pouring myself into the work of God and more specifically the ministry of the word of God, I may not really understand just exactly how to pick out the best melon in the bin. I may not be the best carpenter in the world. I may not be the best plumber or the electrician or painter, but I do know preaching. I do know preaching. Amen. I'm not boasting tonight, but if you spend 33 years doing something, you better know a little bit about it, you'd think. And I'm going to tell you that what we have been exposed to in the last two weeks has not just been something to get us by, not just been something to, you know, well, we'll kind of take this and leave that and wring a little bit out of that. It's been anything but a damp cloth just to kind of moisture, our, moisture to, to put a little moisture in our spirit. But we have been exposed to some great preaching and I'm not trying to elevate the ego of a man because I know this much about preaching as well is uh, you don't have to get very high before life itself can bring you back down God has a way of keeping men grounded and uh, but I do appreciate brother Thomas and I, I thank him for uh, and I'm not you know we're I know something's already been said about we're the last night of revivals so we're not trying to shut down before we hand you the mic <laughs> But I also want to just say how much I have appreciated uh, daily being able to just be with Brother Thomas and the strength and the, and the refreshing that he is. He's just that refreshing to have lunch with. <laughs> and uh, he's just that refreshing just to sit down and talk to. And to have him in our home nightly has just been such a, an incredible blessing. And I think that we are the better as a whole for him having been here. We miss not having his entire family, 
with him, but if it would have been any better having them, I don't know where we would have put it. Amen. But uh, I appreciate very much his ministry and, and uh, what God has done through him for us. And I just want to concur with what Brother Osborne said earlier. What a shame it would be for us to just kind of sit back then and just drift back to where we have been. But I want to drive a nail deep into the rock of where we have been lifted to. And I hope from this point forward, this is the lowest point that I ever see in my life spiritually. I want to just keep climbing from here. Amen. Tonight, what an honor. What an honor. Would you make welcome the preacher? One, one more time, would you offer your praise to the Lord, your sincerest praise from your spirit. Hallelujah to God. Lord, we worship you. Prepare our hearts with worship, O oh Lord. Thank you, Savior. Thank you, precious Lord. Amen. You can be seated for a moment. <clears throat> just just a, uh, a minute or two ago, my, uh, my thoughts went back. Uh, to something that I had learned uh, a few years ago that just seems to fit right now. Uh, as, as revivals go, it seems like there's always a last night. And uh, for the most part, you kind of, uh, it's kind of a bitter thing to, to swallow whenever the Lord has done uh, things like he's done here. But yet I understand that uh, um, it, it's, it, you know, it's time for that to begin to operate and make the word of the Lord um, applicable to our lives. And so um, my ministry goes on and you guys are uh, left to, to graze on what has been offered and how much that we need one another as a church family. Do you know why? Uh, do you know why hell loves to, to sow discord and contention and division and schisms, if you will, in the church? He does that because he knows the power of unity. Amen. My mind reflected back uh, in the gospel account where Jesus took Peter, James, and John into a mountain. And there, we, we matter of fact, we've called it... Uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, and there God began to show Peter, James, and John, and why he selected these men, perhaps they were the uh, forerunners of the rest, but nonetheless, uh, he, he, could have, he could have called anybody from the grave. He was God-robed in humanity. He had power over the grave. He had power over death. Uh, he could have summoned anybody from the, uh, I guess, the arena, if you will, of death. But, but there was a reason why he chose Moses and Elijah. There was a purpose behind this. As everything I've already mentioned before is everything that Jesus did had purpose, this had purpose. And uh, I quickly found the place in the scripture and, and read it afresh. It's just a few verses uh, just so that I would be clear on the story. I, I am of the opinion, and again, this is something, just a little information I ran across a few years back. I'm of the opinion that Jesus called Moses up because he needed a Moses at that point in his life. 
in his ministry in his 33 and a half years. And he called Elijah up because he needed an Elijah in his life at this particular time in his life. He is very close to Calvary. He is very close to uh, shouldering the cross and going through the streets, the Via Dolorosa, going to Golgotha's Hill. He is very close to uh, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah when Isaiah said that his visage was marred more than that of any man. He was beaten beyond the recognition that even his mother couldn't recognize him if she didn't already know that was her son. And he was about to hand something down to Peter, James, and John and the rest of the, the apostles. I think that he just summoned Moses up because he needed the fellowship of Moses. You see, you and I need one another because you have faced things and fought devils that I haven't fought yet or may be fighting now. You need me because I have fought things that perhaps you may be going through or will go through, and so we glean from the strength of one another. Jesus was about to come to the edge of a phenomenal ministry, and I know in three and a half years he changed the world, but could you imagine if, if, he, if he in the flesh would have been permitted to have a 40-year ministry, a 33-year ministry? So he needed a Moses at that particular time in his life because Moses knew what it was like to come to the mountaintop of his life and look at the promise, look at the fulfillment of what was about to happen and not be permitted to enjoy that. I need that Moses in my life. And there was an Elijah that was about to hand an anointing down to an Elisha that would do twice as much with it as he did. And Jesus said, the works that I do, you shall do also, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go to the Father. He needed that in his life at that time. I'm telling you, revival is as much important as bringing in a harvest as it is maintaining the harvest. Amen. Our good brother and those of, of, of your craft, you, you don't just plant in the spring and hope for something in the fall. It's a maintaining until the fall gets here, until the harvest time gets here. It's a maintaining of that. Amen. You need one another. So anytime that you begin to entertain spirits that are contrary to the doctrine and uh, you feel like that, that the one you worship with across the aisle becomes the enemy in your life, please give second thought to that. Anytime you feel like the one that you have been around at the altar or sang with on the platform becomes your enemy, would you please give second thought to that? Amen. Because you're going to need them and they're going to need you. Pray them through that moment in their life. Amen. Conjure something back from, from the deadness of carnality so that that person can be a strength in your life. Amen. That's not what I want to preach tonight, but I just felt that on my heart, and why my thoughts reflected to that, uh, I don't know. I just wanted to share that with you. I'm glad to have a church family like this, amen, <clears throat> that can pray for me when I'm sick and pray for me when I need God and hold me up in prayer, and I appreciate that, and uh, I, have <coughs> I have so been moved uh, by your response to the word of the Lord there is clearly a love for the word of God in your heart, and I appreciate that. Uh, you cer certainly make, make preaching a joy. It has been fun, brother. I appreciate 
that. And I can't say that every time I preach. Sometimes it's a toil, but you have certainly made it an enjoyable thing uh, to do the call of God in my life. Thank you again, Brother Boyd and Sister Boyd, for welcoming me in, in your home and uh, uh, enjoyed your fellowship. I consider this some of the dearest friends on the planet to me. Amen. I won't tarry there. I get all emotional because I appreciate my friends. Amen. I want to read to you from the Gospel of Mark tonight, and uh, I, I pray that the Lord will just open our hearts and, uh, and minds, and, and I mean that. I'm not just filling in a space here, but I really want God to open our hearts and our minds for the word of the Lord because uh, if we do not open and receive this, then it can't do us any good. It can't help us at all. There is such a thing mentioned in the Bible, an unprofitable gospel. The gospel preached unto them as well as unto us, but the gospel preached unto them did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So there is possible for what I preach to be completely unprofitable to you. Amen. So we have to receive that. Mark chapter 1, I want to begin reading at verse number 14. Mark chapter 1 and verse number 14. The Bible said, after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew. He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. He saw Simon and Andrew. He saw Andrew. Savior, thank you tonight for your anointing, for your word, for this people. Thank you for bringing us back to your house. Thank you for what you've done in these past services. I pray, God, that it would live and abide within us. Not that it would be as an Old Testament experience that came and went, but a New Testament experience that is abiding in our spirit. Let the word of God grow and bring fruit in our life. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And everybody said amen. amen. You can be seated. The Lord bless all of you so very much. I really need you to help me tonight. Uh, so if you'll just nod every once in a while or shout an amen, it'll really help me out. <clears throat> we don't preach for responses, but we like them when they come. Mark chapter 1 here in my reading is a very unique passage of scripture than the fact that if we're not careful, we will simply read over this. As a matter of fact, uh, I, have, I have found it to be true that um, not, not just in my personal experience, but in conversation with men many years my elder, they will say, there's just new stuff in the Bible all the time. It is, in fact, a living, a quick, a living word. So if we're not careful, we won't gather a lot out of the fact that Jesus saw Simon and Andrew. We would just simply read over that. We would kind of insert it in our mind but not really ingest it and give consideration to it. But I want to give consideration to this tonight. I want to preach to you about the ministry of this man, Andrew. The ministry of Andrew. Some time ago, I ran across this passage of Scripture, uh, and since then it has been a strength to me because 
um, we don't hear a lot about Andrew. I don't know that I've ever heard a message preached about his ministry, <clears throat> about uh, what he done, at least not the entirety of the message preached about the man, but nonetheless, there's something here that is so magnetic when we stop and consider him, it just pulls us to who this man is. In the, in the Bible, in, in your Bibles, if you got your Bible, hold it up. In your Bible, there is about 31,102 verses, 31,102 verses. In your Bible, 7,957 of those are in the New Testament. Almost 8,000, 8,000 verses in the New Testament, 12 of them mention Andrew. 8,000, 12 of them, I want that to sink in for us tonight. 12 of them mention a man named Andrew. I wanted to know more about this man, so I began to do some research in the only books that I had uh, that said anything at all pertaining this man or his ministry. <clears throat> Easton's Bible Dictionary says of Andrew that he was a confidential disciple. That's all it, that's all it says about him. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia Encyclopedia says of Andrew that he was not one of the greatest. That's all it said. The American Tract Society Dictionary says of Andrew that he was one of the 12 disciples. So we find the description of a man that God thought so much of to spend all night in prayer that he could, that he could select the right one. Uh, as a matter of fact, he spent... Uh, days in prayer, 40 days, and he, the Bible said, was tempted of Satan, uh, was with wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him for 40 days, and he comes out of the wilderness, and he begins to select his disciples who would thereafter become apostles, and of the 12 men that populated that region in that day, Andrew was one of those 12. So I can't just marginalize the ministry of Andrew and say that he was a confidential disciple. Uh, he was one of the 12. Uh, he was simply not one of the greatest. I can't just put him in that category when God thought so much of him to put him as part of the 12. So there's something about him that pulls us to his ministry <coughs> that we need to find out more of. And I, for one, wanted to know what it was about Andrew that God said, I want this man in my ministry team. I want to select that after 40 days of fasting and praying that the Spirit of God moved on him to select a man named Andrew speaks volumes of who he was to me, more than what I find of the intellectual commentaries of the day. This man was of God and had the favor of God, and God thought so, so much of his ministry to put him in the original 12. So you and I can't just throw him to the side and look at the Peter and say, well, we want to see a man that preached the day of Pentecost which is generally where the multitudes want to go. They want to find a man that's going to raise the dead and give sight to the blind and walk on the water and, and uh, speak boldly to Christ and say, and though you die, I'll die with you. And, and there's something about this man that, 
that, that, that Peter, that the multitudes want to flock to? What is it about a leader that makes people want to follow him? Uh, is it his personality? Is it his charisma that he has? Is it his schooling, his education? <coughs> is it the refinery of his uh, apparel? What, the, all of the regalia that he might wear? What is it about the man? I very frankly think that people follow men because they give an air to those following that, that I know where I'm going. Amen. <clears throat> Not necessarily, uh, uh, I, I know on, on some, some jobs you folks can identify with what I'm saying. Uh, you, you, can, you can have a, a solicitor come to the job wanting to sell something and he already knows who the boss is because there's an air about him that just indicates that I know what the next step is. Am I telling you the truth tonight? Amen. We're, we're, we're not looking for those who looks like we're just waiting for Friday. Just pay me Friday evening. We're looking for a man who sold out for what's happening. And I know where the next bolts are going. And I know where the next beams are going. And I know what the next step of the plan is. That's the men that we look for in our life to gravitate to. Amen. As a follower, I want to know that I am following men who know where we're going. Amen. <clears throat> I maintain the fact that there's a good possibility that the reason that God said to Moses you can't go is because Moses couldn't lead men where he had never been. But Joshua had already been there and he said, I'm gonna put my spirit on Joshua and he's gonna be a leader and the people know that this man knows where to go next. Amen. There's something about Andrew that God said this man will have an air about him by my anointing that other men will look to because they're going to know where to go. They're going to look to this ministry and this ministry is going to lead them in the paths of the righteous. They're gonna, this man's ministry is going to lead them in the way that they need to go in. And so there's something about him that men gravitate to. But before then, we really didn't hear much about Andrew. He was simply fishing here this day. And here comes Jesus, and Jesus speaks to him. And Jesus preaches to them. And Jesus calls them. But Andrew still doesn't know who Jesus is. I find that amazing. Just hold on. I'm going to preach to you in a minute. I, I, I'll get loud and, and, and fiery. Just hold on. There's something about Andrew that God said, I want you in my ministry team because other men see something in you that I need in the ministry, that I need in the uh, inauguration of the church, if you will, the, the fundamentals, the building, the foundation of the church, of the apostles and prophets with me being the chief cornerstone. I need you part of that. And yet at that time in his life, he hears Jesus speak, he hears Jesus preach, he hears the call of God in his life, and yet he doesn't know who this man is. He's heard of the Messiah and probably rumors have floated through the coffee shop and the barber shop that, that this man from the north country of Galilee has come in and, and he's walking on water and he's raising the dead and he's going in the cemetery and he's speaking those things that are not as though they were and I've heard of him but when he sees him there's no connection there yet but it's coming. It's coming. And I think it is a beautiful way by which 
that comes. I'm going to let you know something tonight, my friend. You and I need a man in our life that we can follow. Amen. I consider you to be a very blessed congregation in that regard tonight. You and I need men who know what the next step is. You and I need men who tell us that this is the time of revival, that the, the time of salvation is now, the hour is now. We need that speaking into our life. Yeah, there's something about Andrew that, that if we're, we're going to dig into in the next few minutes and we're going to find out that Andrew has something about him that everybody else is going to want to be like. I know he's not the man who wrote books of the New Testament. I know he was only mentioned 12 times out of almost 8,000 verses. I understand that, I understand that we never find where Andrew preached to the thousands and baptized thousands and fed thousands. I understand that. But there's a ministry of this man that I want to foster into my life, that I want to embrace into my spirit. I want to tell you what that ministry is. In First John chapter 35, uh, chapter 1 rather, verse 35, the Bible said, again the next day after John, John the Baptist, after John stood and two of his disciples, looking upon Jesus as he walked, John said, behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Who were these two disciples? Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, what seek ye, what are you looking for? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted, Master, where do you live? Where dwellest thou? Where are you staying right now? He said unto them, come and see. And they, they came and saw where he dwelt in a boat with him that day, and it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two which heard John speak followed him was Andrew. Was Andrew. One of the two. One of the two. Amen. I want you to know who his pastor was tonight. Amen. I want you to know who Andrew's pastor was tonight. It was Andrew. You see, the beauty about mentoring men in the gospel and in the ministry, amen, Brother Boyd, I've come to understand this. It's not that I can mentor them so they become like me. I don't want to mentor men so they become clones to who I am. I like to mentor those young men that want to be themselves, those men who want to find their strengths and recognize their weaknesses. Hallelujah. We can't bring men and women into the kingdom and expect them to be like us and worship like us and shout like us and preach like us and sing like us. They're going to do all of those things, but they're going to do them in a way that God has made up their genome, in a way that God has designed them. Yes, they're going to worship, and yes, they're going to praise, but I can't expect them to do it like I do it. Oh, glory to God. Who was the man that influenced Andrew? Who is the man who revealed to Andrew who Jesus was? Who is the man that, that brought his disciples in and says to them, Behold the Lamb of God. When just a few days ago that Andrew didn't know who Jesus was, Jesus preached to him and spoke to him and called them, but he still didn't have an understanding of who this man was exactly. I know there's something different about him. 
And I know his call has a power behind it that makes me want to leave and walk away from everything, but I still don't quite know who he is. But one day his pastor spoke into his life and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the first thing that Andrew does is go back and find his brother Simon that stood there that day with him in Mark chapter 1. Andrew goes back and he finds Simon and says, we have found the Messiah which is being interpreted the Christ. Not until the man of God pointed him out. Are you getting this tonight? We can't expect people in our community to just be born and by default know the baptism of Jesus Christ. We can't expect those around us to just by default of being in this world to know what repentance is and know where the watery grave is and understand what the renewing of the Holy Ghost is about. It takes a man to preach to them. It takes a man to say, behold, the Lamb of God. That revelation comes. And God, I am reminded of this over and over and over again. It reminds me of the paramount responsibility in my life that when I preach to those that they might understand that this is the Christ that taketh away their sin. This is the Christ that maketh their life anew. This is the Christ that gives to them a hope beyond this world. Hallelujah. Don't tell me that he is nothing more than a confidential disciple. Don't tell me he's nothing more than merely one of the 12. He was much more than that. He had a ministry that was so profound, though the books of the New Testament wasn't named after him. Without this man's ministry, it's very possible the books of the New Testament would have been deferred in their writing. Did you get what I already said tonight? Who was it that went to a man that stumbled out of the upper room on the day of Pentecost and preached to the 119 beside him and then to the 3,000 in front of him? It was none other but Simon Peter. But do you remember who it was that told a Simon Peter, behold, we have met the Messiah. We know who the Christ is. Oh, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going somewhere. Just hang on, just, just grab hold of my coattail. We're gonna go together. Amen. There's something about this man that seems to go so much deeper than merely having a book of the New Testament named after him. So much more than just having two pages of the Bible named after him. So much more than having a title, the epistle of Andrew to the church at wherever. It was so much more to that because this man got to the grassroots of things. He got to the epicenter where everything was gonna happen and it was here that he began to allow the ministry of his pastor to go forth. What was the that ministry. What was the ministry of his pastor? Because we see it woven throughout the ministry of Andrew. We've never really noticed that Andrew's pastor had a ministry that so influenced him. I know, I know John the Baptist. I know he was dressed in leather and girdles and, and ate uh, locusts and wild honey, and I understand that, and we don't see that about Andrew but there was something about the ministry of his pastor that bled over into him. 
After all, I've already read to you and one of the disciples that followed him was Andrew. Followed him. He followed him. He followed him. He wasn't just coming behind him into the church. He followed him. Where you go, I go. The people you preach to, I'm gonna stand there and listen. The people that you baptize, I wanna be there and give them a towel when they come out of the water. I'm following you. I'm following you wherever you go, I wanna go. Don't leave me. Don't get out of my sight. I wanna hear your voice. I wanna hear it in my sleep. I wanna hear that word again. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. I want to always remember the zeal that you sparked in my spirit whenever I heard those words and I saw you point to the man that I had met a few days ago that I really didn't understand who he was then. But when I heard your words, when you said, this is the Lamb of God. This is the one my daddy's been preaching about. This is the one my mama's been telling me about. This is the one and it was all because... It was all because of John the Baptist pointed him out and said, this is the one. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah to God. It was said in the, in the book of Luke about John the Baptist's ministry. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Did you hear those two verses? And many of the children, many of the children of Israel shall he turn, shall he turn to the Lord their God. And verse 17 said, and he shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elias, and he will turn, and he will turn, and he's going to turn the hearts of the sons to their fathers, and the hearts of the fathers to their son. There is one word that can characterize the ministry of John the Baptist, and it's the same word that can, we can use to characterize the ministry of Andrew. And that one word is reconciliation. It was the very heartbeat of Christ for he came into the world. The world was made by him and the world knew him not. But the only thing that he wanted was to reconcile, reconcile, reconcile. He wanted to reconcile the world to their creator. And this was the ministry of John the Baptist. He turned the hearts of Israel to the Lord their God. He turned the hearts of the fathers to their children. He reconciled them. And this ministry bled over into Andrew's preaching. The first thing he did when he found out who the Messiah was the Bible said he first findeth his own brother. Immediately, immediately, Andrew had the spirit of an evangelist. Immediately, do the work of an evangelist. That's the word of God. Do the work of an evangelist. It is all about telling somebody, behold, the Lamb of God. It is all about explaining to somebody, behold, the Lamb of God. It is all about looking across the coffee table and seeing the countenance change when somebody sees the revelation that Jesus was robed in humanity. Behold, the Lamb of God. He first finds his own brother, but this is not where he stopped his ministry. 
Amen. He didn't just get a flash of zeal, jump up and down a time or two, make a couple of laps around the church, show up at a fellowship meeting, preach a little sermonette for Christianettes. No, sir. This got in his spirit until the day he died prematurely for the sake of the gospel. He first findeth his brother, but then his ministry went on because of the influence of a man in his life named John the Baptist. Hallelujah. John tells us in chapter 12 of his gospel that there were certain Greeks that come and find Philip. Certain Greeks, we don't even know their names. Certain Greeks, not certain Jews, not certain Hebrews, certain Greeks, certain people from across the tracks. Certain people who really didn't have anything to offer the church. Certain people who really had no entitlement to know who Jesus was. They come and they find Philip and they say, we want to see Jesus. We want to see this man that is raising the dead and giving sight to the blind. I want to see this man. I want to see this man that people that's been deaf all their life now they can hear. I want to see this man that's doing miracles. Philip begins to scratch his head and look at the ground and mumble and, oh, well, I just, well, you know, I, I, I can understand. It's very commendable that you want to do that, but, 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 uh, but, 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 but you, you don't understand. I mean, you're, 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 you don't, you're not of the lineage of Abraham. And I could just picture Philip beginning to stutter and, and trip over himself and really not know what to say because these men really weren't entitled to know who Jesus was. And then he had a brainchild. He said, I know what I'll do. I know what I can do. You know what Philip did? He goes and he finds a friend named Andrew. He goes and he finds a man with a ministry that doesn't stumble over itself. Who did you say you were? We're certain Greeks. You have no lineage of Abraham, that's okay. Because if I read the scripture right, I find where God so loved the world that he... He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He's, did you hear me? He so loved the world and you're part of that. He didn't so love the rich or so love the poor or so love the black or so love the white or so love the educated or so love the ignorant, so love the foreign or so love the domesticated. He so loved the world and I want to take you to where he is. You see, the beauty about this is, is God was now coupling the Phillips with the Andrews. I'm holding, hold on. Maybe it'll get better. He's coupling the Phillips with the Andrews. He's coupling those who scratch their head and calculating everything and trying to cipher out if Jesus would or if Jesus wouldn't want to see these men to those men who know who this man is, who has been preached to and been revealed to who this man was. He's bringing these two people together because he understands the Phillips in our church need the Andrews in our church. We need one another. You folks need these folks, and these folks need these folks, and these folks need you folks, and you folks need us folks. He's bringing the Phillips and the Andrews together. Phillips says, come with me. Follow me. I'll take you to where he is. And he takes him to Andrew. And Andrew says, you follow me and I'll take you to where Jesus is. I'll take you to where your Messiah is. 
I'll show you something that's been shown to me. I didn't just have the revelation and sat down on it. I didn't just have the experience of Pentecost and sat down on that. I want to take it to somebody else that are saying, we want to see Jesus. We want to know about the promise. We want to know about Pentecost. We want to know about repentance and baptism in his name. We want to know about those things. The other beautiful part about Andrew's ministry is chapter 6 of John. Jesus takes his disciples into a mountain. And as they sat down and looked behind them, the Bible said there's a great multitude coming to where they are. Jesus pulls one of his disciples out and he tells him, I want you to feed these people. And the Bible plainly said, this he said not because he didn't know what he would do, but he'd done this so that he would prove Philip. Philip is getting connected again with another man. Philip begins to get his calculator out and he's adding all of these up and he's looking and estimating this, the head count of these people and he's finding how many pots of beans were there. and how many, He said 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient enough to feed all of these. 200 penny worth was about a year's wage of the common laborer that day. If a man worked all year long, it wasn't enough to feed these people that Jesus just told him to feed. And who else did he do this to but Philip? Nothing in the Bible. Can I say that? I want to reiterate that. Nothing in the Bible is by accident. So we're finding, we're finding a Philip here that's calculating all of these things. And then here comes a man in the crowd, walking through the crowd. Pardon me. Excuse me. I need to get through. Uh, can you move over, please? I need to get... I need to get to where, excuse me, I'm trying to get to where Jesus is. And he's got the hand of a little boy that his mama packed him a lunch. And the Bible says it had five barley loaves and two fishes. Five barley loaves. And again, nothing in the Bible is on accident. Barley was only worth about a third of what wheat was worth in that day. So the Bible specifically says, I'm bringing barley to Christ. And two fishes. And who was it? Who was it that brings this little amount to Christ? But Andrew. You see, all through the Bible, we want to look for the starry things and we want to look for the cosmic moves of God and we want to look for those things that, that are flashing in the sky and shooting across the horizon and all the while there's Andrews that's trying to get coupled up with us that is telling us little is much when God is in it. I know my brother's not much. He's impetuous and he speaks before he thinks and he's a loud mouth and he's arrogant, but I'm going to get him and I'm bringing him to Christ. I know certain Greeks really don't have anything to offer him, but I'm going to find Christ and I'm going to introduce certain Greeks to who he is. I understand that five barley loaves and two fishes might not go very far on its own, but if I can get to where Christ is, I know I don't know what he'll do, but I I know he's big enough that he can do whatever he wants to. He already knew what he would do. God, would you help me if I ever become a Philip to connect me with an Andrew? Let me find somebody. Let me find somebody in my life that will tell me revival is bigger than what you're seeing. 
that this individual that has prayed is more than just somebody that's passing by. It's somebody that God can use in the ministry. God can use in singing and Sunday school and mission work. It's somebody that God can bless beyond measure so that they can finance the work of God overseas and everywhere else. I'm telling you right now in the power of God and the presence of the Lord, I was nothing more to him than certain Greeks. I was nothing more to him than five worthless pieces of bread and two stinking fish. But God said, that's what I've been looking for. I'm gonna manifest my power and my glory in a life just like that. Oh, glory to God. Let me, let me read to you from, from the Old Testament just very hurriedly. The Bible says in the book of Numbers, the Bible's beginning to speak about things, <coughs> speak about things now that, again, if we're not careful, we won't pull very much out of this. But it was the duties of Aaron and his sons being in the priesthood that when they disassembled the tabernacle that was transient in that day, Aaron and his sons had the responsibility that God had given to them to go in and cover up everything. All of the furnishings, all of the, 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 the tables and the spoons and the snuff dishes and the lavers and the table of showbread, all of that, they were to put badger skins over and cover it all up. But since the tabernacle was transient, it was not incumbent upon Aaron and his sons to move the tabernacle. But now God is saying, I've got that job reserved for somebody else. We've never really heard of the sons of Gershon. And we've never really heard of the sons of Kohath and the sons of Merari. But the Bible says of them, but this do unto them. <clears throat> that they live and not die, that when they approach unto the most holy things, Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint them every one to his service and to his burden, but they, the sons of Kohath, Gershon, and Merari, but they, but they shall not, they shall not go in and see the holy things when they are covered lest they die. <sighs> I, I, I'm going to spell this just a little bit, then I'm going to move on. It was a job of the sons of Kohath and Gershon and Merari. It was a job of them that God said, when the tabernacle gets ready to go, when the cloud by day is moving and the pillar of fire by night is moving, and that is an indication that all of Israel shall follow that, then Aaron and his sons will go in and disassemble the tabernacle. But when the other sons of Kohath, Gershon, and Merari come in, they can't see those holy things, but yet God allowed them to shoulder the burden of those things. We get so caught up that I'm not winning 10,000 to Christ and I'm not winning 200 to Christ and I'm not seeing 100 soul revivals but I'm still carrying the burden. I'm letting the, I'm letting the tabernacle, the anointing of God, the presence of God, I'm moving it from place to place. You might not know me as the son of Gershon. You don't know my daddy but I still got a part. You know what you've been doing in your prayer and your fasting? You might not be encumbered with a pulpit ministry and preaching the word of God but without you this wouldn't work without you doing what you do the tabernacle couldn't move and the anointing couldn't move with it and the power and presence of God couldn't move with it the fire would just leave us and the cloud would just leave us but you're shouldering a burden that God had given to you because you have the ministry of Andrew Brother Boy, can I say something very clear to everyone? I'm not concerned about preaching camp meetings. I'm not broken hearted if I don't preach conferences as long as I can preach and feel what I'm feeling right now. 
I might not stumble out of the, stumble out of the upper room and preach and baptize 3,000, but as long as I can preach to a Peter and watch God move through his life, then I know that God has placed me where I need to be in the kingdom. Oh, God. Oh, God, help us. If we're not careful, we become so, so contented. We become so contented with, with, uh, we just become so contented with, 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 with searching and, and being in that part that gets everybody's attention and being in the limelight. I've seen people be competitive over Sunday school room decorating. I'm telling you the truth. Days and hours. And I appreciate the investment. And Jesus said, if they're not against us, they're for us. So just let's use this for that benefit. But I, don't, I can't be competitive in anything. Not in the kingdom. I just want to do the best I can do in the kingdom. I can't lay awake at night wondering why not why not me? Why come I can't walk on the water? Why come I can't preach to 3,000? Why come you couldn't select me to be in the upper room and preach on the day of Pentecost? Sometimes I just got to be settled with the ministry of Andrew because I'm inspiring the Phillips. I'm changing the mindsets of the Phillips. I'm changing the small thinking of those who said it can't be done and I'm letting them know that it can be. I'm changing the way people think when they said they'll never be saved to say bring them to me so I can take them to Christ. I want to change the mindset of those who say whatever it is you've given of your resource or your talent or your skill is so insignificant, infinitesimal that it's no use at even giving it. I want to show God what you God so God can take it and multiply and magnify it for the blessing of his work the Bible said there was a certain man born of four and because they, they couldn't get in the house he was born, he had the palsy and because they couldn't get in the house because of the crowd his friends took him to <coughs> took him to the housetop I know we've heard this a hundred times but they tore the roof off so they could lower their friend down to where Jesus was. Did you get that? He had some friends who could do what he couldn't do. He couldn't walk, but he had friends that could. He couldn't get to where Jesus was, but he had friends that could get to where Jesus was. He was, he was a Philip, but he had some Andrews in his life. Friend, if I have an insufficiency in my life, I don't need to couple myself with men that are just as insufficient as I am. I need to couple myself with some Brother C. Boyds who can say, son, there's more in you than what's coming out. There's more that you can offer to the kingdom. Can I tell you, saints of God, if he has given to us a talent, let us not be contented with a 30-fold Christian. Let us be a 60-fold. If we're 60-fold, let us strive to be 100-fold. But let us never be contented with staying where we are. I may be a Philip now, but you show me an Andrew, and I'm gonna connect myself with him. He's gonna do something for me. I can't get to where Jesus is, but I got some buddies he didn't find other people in wheelchairs and let's scoot around the house together and just go back uptown and get some coffee because we can't get in anyway. No, sir. He found some men with strong legs and strong backs and strong resolves and constitutions that is saying, I can get you to somebody that can help you. 
It is so sad. It is so pathetically sad when we find people in the community that are hurting, that are broken by life, and we don't choose to help them because we just feel like we, we're not the ones for them. I'm not smart enough to give a home Bible study. I'm not, I'm not articulate enough to witness to them and tell them what the scripture says. I don't have a strong enough witness to them that I can invite them to the house of God. Let's quit beating ourselves up and putting ourselves down. Oh, can, can you, if there's some Phillips in the house hearing me tonight, let's get connected with the Andrews that are among us and say, take me farther than I thought I could go. Let me witness with, with a passion that I never thought I could witness with. Let me worship with an intensity I never thought I could worship with and entertain the power and presence of God. Oh, Jesus. God, I hope I'm helping you tonight. I, I, I want you to help me. I've given you a scripture in the book of, in the book of Psalms. I, I don't I don't have any books with my name on it. I, I don't have any uh I don't have any lessons and charts and flip things that I have authored. You don't have those, sis? Would you please click them for me, please? I don't have any of those things that might show notoriety to my ministry or put validation to who I am. And very frankly, it's not because I don't want those, but I'm not beating up myself because I don't have those. I don't feel inferior. I don't feel insufficient. I don't feel worthless in the kingdom. David said, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. My whole thought this evening my whole thought this evening has been help. Andrew helped Philip. Andrew helped Simon. Andrew helped certain Greeks. Andrew helped, 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 helped. The sons of Gershon and the sons of Koath, they helped the priesthood. It's about helping one another. But David said, my help, Come from the hills. In verse 1, I will look unto the hills from which cometh my help. How, how could he look to the hills from which cometh his help? And then would say something so contradictory in verse 2, the very next verse, and say, my help comes from the Lord. Now, David, you just told us that your help comes from the hills. You remember the story of David. If you guys would, 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 would help me, please. You have done a wonderful job of helping me when I close. And I mean that. If you would consider this tonight, when we begin to reflect on our life and we see the smallness and we see what we thought to be insignificant, God knew full well who we were and where we were and what we were doing all the while. You see, David began to reflect back to a place and a time in his life. And I don't think he's geographically speaking the hills that gives him strength as much as I think that David is reflecting upon a time in his life. 
I come from a little town called Gilbert, Louisiana. I received the Holy Ghost there. I started preaching there. New services. Got married there. My first child was dedicated there. But when I'm out like this, I know that going back to that place might not be my strength geographically. But oftentimes in my mind, I go back to that training ground that God brought me through. The hills were time in David's life. I feel the Holy Ghost just holding us. Those difficult times when you had to stay up all night and beat the wild beast off of what was valuable to you. God is using that in your life. It wasn't a contradicting statement whenever he said, my help coming from the Lord, after he just got out of his ink, his ink uh, bottle and quill and penned the words, I will look to the hills from which cometh my help. Those were not contradicting statements. He was saying those times when I was nothing but a shepherd, those times and nights that I spent all by myself, when I, when I, when I beat the wolves, off of what was valuable in my home, those times when God just visited me so solemnly all by myself are the times that I'm going to reflect back to and get my strength from. He took a man, what everybody else would define as a very small ministry because he won a brother to Christ, because he took a handful of Greeks to Christ, because he had a little boy whose mom had fixed him a lunch with five barley loaves and two fish. And we would think he's really never done very much in the kingdom. As a matter of fact, men much wiser than myself seem to have missed this because they said he was just a confidential disciple. He wasn't one of the greatest. He was just one of the 12. He's just following them along really had no ministry at all. Friend, I want you to understand something. Everything you do for the kingdom's sake, I don't care if it's a widow's mite that you give and send it overseas. I don't care if it is an humble prayer in your living room floor for a brother or sister in need, for them that's fighting the enemy in their life to hold your pastor up in his strength. God said you are valuable to me you are valuable to my kingdom you have worth in my work hallelujah God I can't find other people who are as deficient as I am and think that that's going to better me let me shoulder myself up with some Andrews Preacher, I've stayed away from the church because I really didn't have anything to offer the church. I want every eye closed right now. I want the Holy Ghost to speak to our spirit. I've stayed away from the church and I've stayed uninvolved because I never really thought I had anything to offer. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any skill. I didn't have any talent. I had no insight in the Word of God. There was really nothing that I could do. If I could feel the role of an Andrew tonight. And if I could speak into your spirit and say God has put value on your life. Little really is much 
when God is in it. I had nothing to offer God when I came to the altar. I had a broken family. I didn't make good grades in school. I had a lot of don't care in my life. I seemed to have been tempered too early. I had bitterness that I couldn't get out. I remember going home and making sure I was late enough that everybody was asleep. And I'd get up early enough so I didn't have to look at anybody because there was so much bitterness in our home. I didn't have anything to offer God. And I, like one of you tonight, I feel in my spirit that one of you is very similar to that. I needed an Andrew to say, Philip, let me show you what God can do with so little. Let me show you what God can do with what everybody else has kicked to the curb and defined as insignificant. Can I show you what he can do for you tonight? I want to make it real easy for us because I don't want to single anybody out. I certainly don't want you to feel like I'm making you uncomfortable. So I'm going to make this as easy as I can. I want the entire church to come and I want you to come with them. Would you do that? That's as easy as I know how to do it. Why don't you do that? Would there be somebody that just like to say, God, I need an Andrew in my life. I need some friends in my life that don't get to the front door and say, well, we're too late, we can't get in. I need some friends who can be desperate and get me to a Christ that can help me. Would you come to a Christ that can help you tonight? I'm not preaching to you some farcical story that can't help you. I'm preaching to you about a God who came robed in humanity and gave himself for you. That shouldered your cross and my cross and drug it through. Drug it through the streets up a hill called Golgotha. And he done it so that he can enable you to do something for his kingdom. I can do all things. Would you make that your prayer right now? I can do all things through Christ. Would you let the ministry of Andrew flow through your heart and spirit? God, would you bless this people right now? Let the soberness of your word settle upon our hearts. God, would you bless this people right now? God, let us refuse to be contented with doing nothing. When you have just shown to us, you can take so little and make so much out of it. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. 
or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.